This podcast is brought to you in part by GEICO, proud sponsor of National Geographic. GEICO, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. I was on this amazing hike in the, one of the most beautiful parts of Kauai, high up on the mountains on a, a knife-like ridge. We were covered in mud. We were climbing, you know, using ropes. It's so steep and muddy and gorgeous and huge vistas. Emma Maris is an environmental writer. Recently, she wrapped up a big story for National Geographic magazine, a story all about rats. And when I caught up with her, she was just back from a bit of a working vacation on the Hawaiian island of Kauai. And we come around the corner and we see one of these traps and, and there's a sort of a penumbra of dead rats. That's right. Even after months of reporting on rats, Emma just couldn't get away from them. That's because they're an invasive species in Kauai. Their population's out of control and they're wreaking absolute havoc on local endangered seabirds. The rats in this mini graveyard were killed by an extremely effective extermination solution. It's something that seabird conservationists had been trying out. The presence of the rat triggers a pressurized CO2 capsule that shoots a bolt into the head of the rat, kind of like at a slaughterhouse, except on a much smaller scale. What a way to spend your time in paradise, right? Once you get hooked on rats, you can't really stop. Emma's Hawaiian rat safari sounds terrifying, but also strangely captivating. I mean, rats occupy this weird place in our psyche. Why do we gleefully compare horror stories about the big old rat we saw behind the dumpster? And then we cheer when we see one carrying a whole slice of pizza down a flight of stairs on YouTube. I'm Vaughn Wallace, and you're listening to Overheard at National Geographic. It's a show where we get to eavesdrop on the wild conversations Nat Geo explorers and scientists are having every day. And then we follow them to the edges of our big, weird, and beautiful world. This week, we're unpacking our special relationship with humanity's little rodent frenemies. Rats versus humans? A love story. GEICO and National Geographic are working together to make your life a lot easier. Get a quote with GEICO, mention your Nat Geo affiliation, and you could get a special discount on GEICO's already low rates. Visit geico.com slash natgeo to see how much you could save. That's geico.com slash natgeo. Great rates, great service, and a whole lot more. geico.com slash natgeo. Emma says that rats are part of a larger family, the kleptoparasites, meaning that they make their living stealing from other species, in this case us as humans, and then they exploit all of our weaknesses, like the plastic bags of garbage that we leave all over our streets each week. They sort of just adapted to hang out with us. And then as we moved around the planet, trading down the Silk Road or crossed oceans in voyaging canoes or in big sailboats, they just came with us. They sort of hitched their wagon to the human race. But despite that dependency, the rats that make their homes in our cities don't give too many people the warm fuzzies. This is an animal that eats garbage. And they carry some pretty serious diseases, you know, like the plague. So Darwinists would say... Our repulsion to them is actually a pretty useful adaptation. We can get sick from something that's disgusting. That's Jeff Lockwood. He's a professor of natural sciences and humanities at the University of Wyoming. And that's why things like feces and blood and, and decaying bodies, right, all of those are likely to be carrying something that is bad for us. Jeff's done a lot of thinking about disgust. For a few years, I had a uh, blog on a Psychology Today website, and I would blog about insects and fear and disgust and whatnot. 
He's also written a book about disgust, The Infested Mind. And since most of us find these garbage gobblers pretty gross, I figured Jeff would be just the guy to help unpack that rat ick factor. As far as we know, all human cultures on Earth um, have expressions of disgust. So it's, uh, we can think of it as a grand uniting a human phenomenon. Jeff told me something that really changed the way I was thinking about disgust. He says that the emotion we describe as disgust is actually a much deeper, more primal emotion. It screams, pay attention to me. Squeal or meal. Squeal or meal. Right. <laughs> um, squeal because it could inflict pain. Or meal because maybe it's a tasty treat. You know that feeling when you see a cockroach skittering across the kitchen floor when you turn on the light? You startle and you cringe. You know, almost nothing that scurries in that way is really good news. But while disgust is universal, that response isn't. Because insects have been and still are in many cultures very important food sources. I mean, that's a highly loaded protein and and lipid snack. It's sort of an energy bar on legs. Turns out, A lot of our feelings of disgust are linked to culture. Type blue cheese smells like into a Google search, and Google's going to autocomplete to blue cheese smells like vomit, ammonia, feet. And yet it's hard for some to imagine a Cobb salad without a sprinkle of crumbly, moldy cheese on top. It just isn't the same. In fact, a lot of the things we eat are pretty disgusting. Do you like raw oysters? I do not, no. Okay, well, yeah, and that's because it's sort of like the animal world view of snot. Slippery, slimy foods like oysters. Stinky cheese. These things grab our attention, and they trigger a kind of arousal. And our culture tells us whether to embrace it or to turn away. While she was reporting her story... Emma visited a community where rats aren't loathed. They're revered. Throughout New Zealand, rats are super invasive. They feast on the eggs of endangered seabirds, and so the government's trying to wipe them out. But rats also have a really special history on New Zealand's North Island. The Ngati Wai are an indigenous people who have a cultural connection to rats that goes back centuries. More than a thousand years ago, when Polynesians were exploring the Pacific, They intentionally brought rats aboard their canoes as a portable food source, making what Emma's described as a kind of rat confit. So they would cook them in in fat and then allow the fat to congeal. So then they'd be sort of in this block of fat and that would allow them to hold on to them, hold on to the meat for a while. It was a preservation technique. It also probably made them really like rich and delicious. The Natiwai also used the rat's fur. They would keep the little skins and make these enormous very grand-looking cloaks with them, which kind of boggle the mind. I can't imagine how many hundreds of rats it would take to make a really big, impressive fur coat like that. Now, let's be clear. These rats are pretty different from city rats. You know, the kind you'd see skulking around the alleyways of New York? For one thing, they're a lot cuter. It's almost more mouse-like looking. It's kind of fluffy and round Um, I saw a couple when I was on Kauai running across the trail, and my first thought on seeing them was not eek, but was sort of like, aw. But they're a threat to endangered birds in New Zealand, and that's why the government wants to wipe them out. But the Natiwai stepped in. They see themselves as guardians of the kiori, the Pacific rat. The Maori word for it is kaiteakitanga, this sort of guardianship, this role that you play taking care of a part of the natural world. 
They successfully lobbied New Zealand's Department of Conservation to limit the poison and to set up sanctuaries for the rats. So, no matter what, rats get our attention. And once you get over your cultural disgust, there are a lot of things about rats that make them objectively awesome. I grew up thinking I was going to be like Jacques Cousteau, quite frankly. That's Bobby Corrigan. Does your business card actually say rodentologist on it? It does. It says urban rodentologist. For years, Bobby's consulted with cities and businesses who have big rat problems. His job is to help get rid of them. But in the process, Bobby's developed a sense of awe and wonder. A Jacques Cousteau of the rodent kingdom, if you will. I actually enjoy being around rats. That sounds bizarre, but it's just such a cool mammal. Once you understand it, I don't see how anybody could be repulsed by rats. I'm going to have to let Bobby make the case for why the rats that we see scaling New York City trash cans aren't repulsive. First, he says they're resourceful predators. I saw the rats in the sewers completely chase down and disassemble cockroaches, um, just like we disassemble a lobster at a restaurant. We'll disassemble that to get to the, to the meat of the lobster. I mean, without the little plastic bib, I'm assuming. But they don't stop there. Bobby says rats enjoy hunting another common city pest, the pigeon, a.k.a. the rat with wings. It's very common to watch a rat stalk that pigeon from the shadows and from the back. They launch and they grab them by the neck and they will drag a live pigeon right down their burrow and kill it like we see on a Serengeti. I'm just imagining the next Nat Geo Wild special replacing lions in the Serengeti with rats in a city park. But comparisons to African wildlife aside, Bobby says another thing you've got to admire. Rats are athletic. I call them gymnasts. They're unbelievable animals and being able to contort their bodies and make twists and turns and use their tails and squeeze through tiny openings. An average-sized city rat can squeeze through a hole the size of a quarter. The ribs somewhat have a hinge on them, if you will, and they can collapse that, and they can do the uh, hula through the rest of it and, and get the body through eventually. Rats can also hold their breath for up to three minutes, which, by the way, explains how they can get up into your toilet, something that Bobby says occurs more often than any of us would like to think about. When humans design pipes, right away we designed road and highways. And rats travel down these highways because they have an almost unquenchable curiosity. They take chances. They don't have experience. Maybe like an 18-year-old that first gets their driver's license, their insurance rates are high for a reason. And in terms of breeding, rabbits ain't got nothing on rats. One rat couple is capable of producing 15,000 offspring in just a year. No one really knows how many rats there are, but in some cities, population estimates are rising. So yeah, rat baby booms are totally a thing. And they keep people like Bobby pretty busy. You're going to have to get somewhere close to 96% elimination of that population. If you were to get 88 and you walk away and thinking, okay, we, we beat the rats at this park, They'll be back if it's winter, you know, it's a year. If it's summertime, they, they can be back in six months. If that's not a sobering thought, I don't know what is. But Bobby's given me a lot to think about. Like us, rats are scrappy. They're athletic. They're ambitious and they explore everything. And man, do they hustle. They're like the antihero of the urban jungle. And they're relatable in this other way, too. Emma Maris came across an experiment involving rats. Okay, so it worked like this. 
there were two rats, one in a cage and the other roaming free. The free rat's got a choice. It can either liberate the trapped rat or it can go chow down on a piece of chocolate. Despite the temptation of the sweets, the free rat chose to release its friend in most cases. Yeah, and then once they've freed this other rat, the two rats kind of get close to each other and sniff each other and touch each other in what researchers suggest is a kind of a consoling behavior, like we might give somebody a hug after they've been through something horrible. But if you're still finding it hard to appreciate rats, you're definitely not alone. And we may have some good news. Remember Mr. Infested Mind, Jeff Lockwood from earlier? The guy who described disgust as a grand uniting human phenomenon? He actually thinks that the hatred of rats might be just the thing to bring us all together. Think about the fragmentation, the polarization of society right now politically and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Right. So maybe what we need to do is get together black, white, brown, men, women, gays, straight, right? Sit Mm -hmm. around the table and say, okay, we're going to begin by everybody telling us a rat or roach story. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) If we're talking about making society great, it's just our acknowledgement that we all find rats creepy. That's right. So so we're going to have a new slogan, right? It's make America disgusted again. Make America disgusted again. You can read Emma Maris's Rats feature from National Geographic magazine by checking out the links in our show notes. They're right there in your podcast app. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to Overheard at National Geographic. Please share this episode with your friends, and if you really feel like it, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, even if we really disgusted you. Overheard at National Geographic is produced by Emily Oxenschlager, Kristen Clark, Brian Gutierrez, Robin Miniter, and Jacob Pinter. Our editor is Casey Miner, with help from Ibi Caputo. Hansdale Sue composed our theme music and engineers our episodes, with additional help from Nick Anderson, Evan Ocampo, and Graham Davis. Special thanks to Pineapple Street Media, April Ehrlich, and Val Curtis. This podcast is a production of National Geographic Partners. Susan Goldberg is our editorial director. I'm your host, Vaughn Wallace. Thanks for listening, and meet you back here next week. GEICO and National Geographic are working together to make your life a lot easier. Get a quote with GEICO, mention your Nat Geo affiliation, and you could get a special discount on GEICO's already low rates. Visit geico.com slash natgeo to see how much you could save. That's geico.com slash natgeo. Great rates, great service, and a whole lot more. geico.com slash natgeo.